Uh, today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope for which he has called you, uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in his age, but also in the one to come. And he put things... He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thanks be to God. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you, Beverly, for reading that. Uh, this is, uh, oh, I have many favorite passages of Scripture, but this is just a fantastic passage of Scripture. And I thought that as we closed our, our study of the, uh, 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 of the book of Ephesians and also of how it direct, directly connects to our church family, that I would take one more look at this passage. We see that in this text, Paul gives thanks. He says, for this reason, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, and I do not cease to give thanks for you. He gives thanks to God for both their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. And we've seen that as our church thinks about its purpose of why we're here, we're called to be a community of faith and of love. And what's the third one? Of hope. He gives them thanks for their faith in the Lord Jesus because he knows that prior to coming to know Jesus, they didn't live life on a solid foundation. In fact, at one point he said about them, they were without hope and without God, homeless and alienated and strangers in this world. But now that they have found faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have something meaningful and important to believe in. And then they also, they, he gave thanks for their their love, their love toward all the saints. And he recognized that they who had one time been excluded from the family of God because of their ethnicity were now included because in Christ a whole new humanity has been made. So they were a community of faith and love, and so too do we desire to be a community of faith and love as we've looked at for the past two weeks. We want a community that gives to our, to, to our world something solid to believe in because everybody's got to believe in something. We've got to believe in something. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, living among us, announcing the kingdom of God, coming to rescue creation, which he did in the most unlikely, 
in the most unlikely of all ways by having laid down his life on the cross under the weight of human sin and rebellion, apparently conquered by it, but rather conquering through it into new life so that new life can begin to emerge right here in this world, called to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they were gathered in love, and so too are we, gathered in love as the community of Jesus Christ. You know, we... we uh, we are a love-deprived and intimacy-deprived people. We want relationship. We crave relationship. And we will seek it in the most unlikely and unhealthy of places. A lot of people come here on Friday nights seeking a brand new relationship. <laughs> and they might get lucky. Maybe that was a bad way to say it. <laughs> Meanwhile, we crave deep relationship. And the Bible teaches us that in Christ, we have relationship in the family of God. We're part of that new community, a community united, not by the blood of our heritage, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, who purchased us and made us part of his family. So that no matter what other relationships we have that might come and go in our lives, we have the security of a relationship with God and other brothers and sisters in Christ. We need some place to belong. Everyone needs somewhere to belong. And uh, this is the time when football season is going and everybody's all excited about these silly games that took place on Thursday. They're not silly, are they, right? Sorry, Paul, that's a jab. Uh, when the starters play like, you know, three plays, you know, and they charge you just as much to go see these games, right? If you're a season ticket holder. Yeah. But we come, we dress up, and we speak about the Cardinals in this case, or the Packers in that case, or the Steelers in the other case, or whatever your game may have been. You paint yourselves up, and you watch the team, and you'll say, we... We are a good team. We did bad last night. We are so good. And you're not even playing. In, you're not even playing. You're not. What do you mean, we? You're sitting there on the couch, cheering the stands, face painted like an idiot, and you think that's you? Why? Because we need somewhere to belong. Now, these are all good things. But when good things become ultimate things, they become dangerous things. And so often, because we don't have the the depth of relationship with others in the community of faith because of God's love, we then now invest ourselves too highly in the things of transitory significance, and they become idols to us. I'm not speaking against football or against sports. I love sports. I'm not as much a fan, although I played football in high school, so don't get me wrong. I played football, um, but I'm much more of a baseball fan as some of you. I may have let that slip out a time or two in the past, right? Uh, and uh, so in any case, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoyed playing and, and enjoying, but there's a difference between idolizing things and craving the community that meets that deep need in our hearts. That's a, super silly, uh, a superficial example, but there are other examples even in our relationships that we put too much emphasis on them, and we end up manipulating people and becoming abused and abusive in our relationships because of our craving for intimacy. We are called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, called to gather in love as a community of Jesus. And then he goes on to, we've already looked at those two. He goes on to say this, and this is astounding to me, picking it up in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the, and what does he pray? 
he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And here we get to the thrust of it, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He's praying that somehow God would open their eyes and enlighten their eyes to the reality of the hope to which God has called them. The riches of his glorious inheritance and the inheritance of his safe of the saints and his immeasurably great power that he worked in us. The power that raised even Christ from the dead and raised him and then put all things under his feet over the church, which is his body. We want to talk today about this issue of hope, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He wants to pray that they would be people of hope. And indeed, we say about our church, we have three primarily objectives. We are called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, gathered in love as the community of Jesus, and sent with hope on the mission of Jesus. So let's talk about this whole idea of hope. What's, what's the big deal about hope? Why does he pray for hope? What's it about? What's the nature of Christian hope? And what is the basis of it? And why is it so important? So I want you, if you can, to think with me a little bit about this whole idea of hope and why it is so important. Why is hope so important? Well, because we all need something to live for. We need, we need to know, is life meaningful or meaningless? Is there some purpose to life. And many of our lives are on a trajectory of hope looking for meaning. We think that maybe if I get the right school when I'm in high school, go to the right school, that'll give me real meaning and purpose in my life. And then we go to the school and it's good. But And then it gets to us the right job. We have a great job, a great career. Maybe that will give me. And so we find ourselves moving up uh, into our lives, and we've advanced in our career, and we're looking around, and we're thinking, it's not really accomplishing the true needs of my life, and perhaps we think it's our family, and so we have a family, and we, we, uh, we, we get married, we have children, we love our children, and we find, is that what life is about? But then we realize that that itself doesn't give to us ultimate hope in our lives. Is there any inherent meaning or purpose to life? You know, the intellectual view of life is this. The secular view of life is this. No, there is no inherent meaning or purpose to life. The secular view of life says this. We are here purely because an accident of nature. There was no purpose, no design, no intent. We're just here by accident. It just so happened that we occurred. And whatever meaning we bring into this life, we just bring it in because we make it up as if it's true. And ultimately, where this world is going is into the ash heap of history, and we will end up rotting in the grave, and the world will spin itself out, and whatever happens next after that will happen, and there's no real meaning and purpose to life. And this is true. Uh, this, if, if you're really honest as a secularist, you cannot help but come to that kind of conclusion. 
conclusion. We may import meaning such as we do import meaning perhaps to the ball game that we're going to see or the, the team that we, uh, that, that we support. All of it has a great, great meaning, but at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of meaningless, kind of like a, a game that you play. When you finish it, you put it back in the box and you take it out next Christmas when the family comes over again. Okay? You take it seriously while you're in it, but you know it has no ultimate purpose or value. And in fact, this is a theme which has been found from the very beginning of time when in this ancient book called Ecclesiastes, the, 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 the writer of Ecclesiastes asked the question, what is the purpose of life? And he says, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Or if you look at it in some of the newer versions, it says, meaningless, meaningless all is meaningless. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I want to look for some meaning, some purpose in life. And so in the first, in verses 12 to 18 of the first chapter of that book, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to try to know everything. I'm going to gain wisdom. I'm going to, I'm going to learn all the secrets of life. But then when he finished that, he said, it's all meaningless, a, a chasing after the wind. And then very next verses, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he says, I'm going to pursue pleasure. I will follow after, uh, I will follow after, let me see if I can find the text here real quickly. It's almost Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, right? Is that how it goes? Yeah. This is a really profound and rich uh, book, The Ancient Wisdom, speaking about the meaningless of life meaninglessness of life outside of God. And he says, and I said in chapter 2 and verse 1, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He pursued pleasure. We found that to be meaningless. Then he pursued great projects, great, I would call it business goals. Verse 4, chapter 2, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and pots and planted them in all kinds of fruit in them all kinds of fruit tree. I made myself pools from which to, wa uh, which to water the forest uh, uh, of, of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and promises, got singers and men and women and many concubines for the delight, uh, delight of the children of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me, and my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart said, my heart found pleasure in my toil, and this was my reward for all the toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all of it was meaningless. All of it was vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Is life ultimately profoundly meaningless? If you don't consider that there is a God who made us, who rules this world and has it here by design and by purpose, you have to come to that conclusion. No, we need to have hope. We need to know that something matters, that ultimately at the end of the day, it will make sense. And so the Christian gospel gives to us the, 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 the reality of hope 
within the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and see what it has to say to us about this hope. I wish that you would know the, 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 the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the, in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul prays that they would know the hope that they have, and he wants them to know that the basis of their hope, secondly, is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. Far above all rule, and excuse me, that he worked in, verse 20, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. You see, Paul prays that we would have hope, and that hope is not found in wishful thinking, but rather in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I come back to this theme of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is so foundational and fundamental. See, the Bible teaches us that God, this world is not here by accident, but by design. However it is it got here, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about how the world got here. It tells us why the world got here, and it got it because God intended for it to happen. And so God is, uh, created this world as a beautiful world but he put human beings on it who were given freedom and, and to rule this world for his honor and for his glory. But humans rebelled against God, and so this beautiful world was broken by human rebellion. And so consequently, instead of having relationship with God and with one another and with humanity and even within ourselves that is filled with shalom and peace, we have fractured relationships with God, within, with others, and even in the culture that we have created around us. And therefore, God God has come into this beautiful but broken world with a plan of rescue. And that rescue began with a man named Abraham through whom a family was born and out of whom a covenant was made at Mount Sinai with the people of Israel under the guidance of Moses. And these would be the people through whom would God, bring bless, God would bring blessing to the world. But as the story of the Old Testament tells us all too clearly, the people who were called to bring the blessing of God were themselves broken vessels themselves. So that ultimately they ended up in exile and, and, uh, uh, and, and alienated from God. And so ultimately God comes in the person of Jesus Christ who becomes the final faithful Israelite who lives under the guidance of the law and dies under its curse for the sake of humanity so that he could bring rescue. And on Easter Sunday morning, though Jesus had died under the weight of the world's sin, he was raised up from the dead. It was the resurrection which gave to the church its birth. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ which gives to us our ultimate hope. Our, our, the Bible says if Christ <laughs> if Christ is not raised, we are of all men most pitiable. So we have a basis of hope built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is this hope like? It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture that someday God will give to us new bodies like the resurrected body of Jesus. We have a hope which goes beyond these decrepit old bodies. And I know yours is not decrepit yet, but it might get there someday. 
You can see it's going downhill. You can do everything you want. You can pay as much money as you want, but you know that body's decaying on you. hate to tell you if you're 25, uh, just wait. You know, those of us who are past 50, we know what that's like. And it's a depressing thought. You can pretend you can have as much surgery as you want to make yourself be 35, but you're not really 35 anymore, right? It's not going to be so. And someday you will breathe your last and you will die. This body is going to fail you. But the resurrection of Jesus teaches us that we will have new bodies, bodies like his. Isn't that good to know? That's part of our hope. And it's not just wishful thinking. It's because there was a man who died who was raised up from the dead and given a new body and said we would have bodies like that someday. You see, the Christian hope is not simply that we will somehow play harps in heaven on clouds, but rather that we will have new, remade, incorruptible bodies. That's a beautiful hope, a beautiful hope. We will be given Brand new bodies, bodies like Jesus' body. And we will also live on a brand new earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I was a Christian for a long time, very long time. In fact, I was a pastor for a long time before I understood this truth. It's revolutionary, and it's sad that so many of us have become more like, uh, you know, uh, we think our spiritual life is purely spiritual, and so our soul goes to be with the Lord, and that's kind of the end of the story. That's not what the Bible teaches, that yes, there is life after death, yes, our soul goes to be with God in paradise, but the Bible teaches there is life after life after death, that someday When Jesus returns, he will remake this world into a new heaven and a new earth. Out of the material of this world, he will make something brand new. And he will populate it with those of us who have fallen asleep in Christ or who are alive when he comes. And we will be given new bodies. The ultimate hope is not uh, uh, that we're going to fly away somewhere. The ultimate hope is that we're going to have a new home, a new home. I have a home, eternal home. We sang about it earlier, yeah. But for now, I walk this lonely world, right? Jesus, God has made this world. He's not going to throw it away. He will, out like, like a seed planted in the ground, which seems to die, but births new life. This world and your body, which will die and will come to its demise will not stay dead, but will be raised someday. That's the Christian hope. That means that no matter what kind of tragedy you ever go through, no matter what kind of illness you ever face, no matter what kind of downturn your life ever takes, you know, you know that God will make all things new, that God will write every wrong, that God will dry every tear, that God will uh, bring justice to every unjust thing. Got to admit, some things in this life do not make sense. Some, and I, I've been in this work a long time. I have buried babies. In a week, I will bury a 24-year-old woman Married with children. 
I don't know her, but I'm planning to do that service for them. How does that make sense? It doesn't. But Ephesians 1.10 says that someday God will make everything all add up under Jesus Christ. Let's see what that text says. I actually printed it on the back, uh, on, on the back of your notes because it's a beautiful text. Um, let's see if I have it here. making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. That phrase, to unite all things in him, can be is used in various kinds of ways in the Greek language, and one of the ways it's used like is to make everything all add up, to make the books square, so that everything comes together. You know when you're doing when you were doing your uh, division as a kid, you had remainders. You know how many times does five? How many times does five go into thirteen? It goes in twice. Remainder three. Remember that R three. There are lots of remainders in your life. They don't add up. But the scripture says that someday it will all add up. There is that hope that is not bound simply in wishful thinking or sentimental thoughts, that we're not just in some sort of circle of life like like Eastern faiths teach us, that we're just going nowhere, everywhere fast, and not there's no, ultimately, and everything ends in emptiness. No. The scripture teaching is that this world is going to be renewed by God's grace, and that someday he will dry every tear, and he will make everything add up under Christ. The nature of our Christian hope is that we have glorious, we will have glorious new bodies. We will live on a glorious new earth, and we will someday have this brand new heart, which doesn't continue to uh, uh, to cheat us and to hurt us and to cause us to do the wrong things. We will do the right things all the time. Yes, we will have new bodies on God's new earth, and this gives to us new Hope, new hope. It's a hope born out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches us that without Christ, we are here in the chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, in verse, uh, chapter 3, uh, excuse me, uh, we, are, we are without God and without hope. We are without God and without hope. But in Christ, chapter 4, it says, we have one hope. Hope, well, there are three images I want you to think of with regard to hope that can help you think about it. In, uh, in Romans chapter 8, maybe I can take time to read some of these quickly for you. Um, chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, there's that word, that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemptions, not of our souls or just our spirits, but the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We were saved with a hope of redeemed bodies and a redeemed creation. And you notice it said that we, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. How many of you have had a baby? Not, you don't have to answer that question. Were there pains of childbirth? Yes. And there is a groaning that can happen. And I have to say, even as the man who was there alongside, I had pain too. This is true. They tried to offer my wife, uh, you know, medicine because we were in the days when we would do everything all natural, right, in the 80s. And she said, no, I'm fine, no, I'm fine. I'm with her, help her. After a while, they said to me, would you like some medicine? <laughs> I said, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I was so worked up. The image of a baby waiting to be born. Think about that. Image of a baby waiting to be born. It's the image of a birthday. You see, you have, we just had another grandbaby born a few months ago, and there's this rather large little girl that's got a rather stomach, you know, inside of that. And then there is this painful, uncertain, difficult process that results in life. That's the idea of birth. The idea of what God, and I think about this when I think about the future state. I think I've said this before. If you were to have said to a, an unborn child still in its mother's womb at about six or seven months gestation, right? Remember those days, some of you? If you were to have said to that little baby, guess what the future's going to be like for you? Would that baby have had any clue about what you meant? That baby would have thought, I'm just fine right now. I got all my needs taken care of. Everything's good. They would have no clue about the future. But after that baby is born, those fingers begin to have a purpose. Those lungs begin to have a purpose. That mouth now has a purpose. And that baby learns how to live into the human life, which has been being born during the nine months of that pregnancy. In the same way, someday you will go through the pains of childbirth. You will die. You will go through what might be a difficult process. And I'm telling you today that life on the other side is going to be even better. And I know you can't figure it out. I know you can't fathom it because I can't either. There will be things I'll be able to experience and enjoy. Think about all the things you enjoy as a child outside of the womb versus the child inside of the womb. It's a whole new world that you began to experience. I was with my grandbaby, my littlest one, this past week. And this morning, my wife did me a huge favor. She's not here. She's still with the kids. And, and, uh, and uh, so she sent, me, uh, she sent me a little video that I didn't know she had taken. Because one of the things I've done with all my children, I w- uh, there was a little song that was uh, valuable to me when my daughter was born, written by, I think, Keith Green, and uh, uh, came from a psalm. And it just went like this. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all thy wonders. I will be glad and exalt in him. And so my little 35-year-old daughter, when she was a little two-month-old infant, I would sit her on my lap and clap her hands. I, I will give thanks to the Lord 
with all. I would do that. Guess what my wife sent to me this morning with the words, I love you. She sent me a video of me doing that with my littlest grandbaby last week. I will give thanks to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? See, there's so much. That's why the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You have no idea. You're like a child waiting to be born, but you know it's going to happen, and that gives you hope. In fact, having a baby for the third time is a lot different than having it for the first time, right? Those of you who had more than one, that first time, you're not sure what's going to be going on. And you're worried about everything, and you're reading everything you can. By the time you get to your third one, you're pretty relaxed. You don't like how big you are, right? You don't like that. But you're not too worried because you know the process is going to find its way through. And as you grow to maturity in Christ, when things go on that you don't understand or that don't make sense to you, oh, yeah, you don't always like it, but you know that God is in control and that God will make everything work out. The image, the ba- hope is like a baby about to be born. I always say there's nothing more beautiful than a woman who is expecting her baby more beautiful. It's life beginning to happen. And in your life, that's what it means to be new life in Christ. Hope is like a baby about to be born. Hope also is like a seed about to be planted. In 1 Corinthians 15, I don't have time to read these texts anymore, he speaks about seed being planted in the ground. And it happens to me every fall when I plant my winter grass. I go buy all this little white stuff, and I throw it out there, and it looks like nothing. Sure enough, as I water it, as I fertilize it, as I keep the birds away from it, you know, and all those, before long, life comes out of those seeds. What happened to the seed? It died. But it didn't really die, didn't it? New life came out of it. And Jesus said about himself as a, Seed is planted into the ground and bears fruit, so I will be planted in the ground and will bear fruit. And in fact, in three days, he was raised from the dead. So hope is like a seed about to be planted. You plant that seed. It's harvest day. Hope is like a birthday coming. Hope is like a harvest day coming. And in the last image, I want you to think of hope is like a bride about to be married. Revelation at the end of the gospel, end of the end of the Bible, the last images are of the church beautifully prepared as a bride for her husband. Wedding day happens, and my goodness, we've had 39 anniversaries since our wedding day, and I'm so grateful and hopeful, looking forward to number 40 next year. And uh, what a beautiful thing it is when a man and a woman who know nothing about the future come together, and out of their union, new life generally occurs. It's like a wedding day. You don't know what it's like. So yes, we have true hope. We've got to have something to live for and to die for. And we live in a world where hope is so very thin, so very thin. And we latch on to things which are so transitory and so elusive. We all need something to live for. And we have a hope which goes beyond the grave. 
And it's not just wishful thinking. It's based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it will one day result, yes, at first when we die, to go to be in the presence of the Lord until that final day when Jesus returns to this earth, bringing those who've died in Christ with him, and he will then remake this world, and we will have new life on a new body, on a new earth with Jesus who is with us, present among us. There is hope that is ours in Christ. I hope that you will recognize that this is a hope that you can sink your teeth in and that your life can be transformed by. This hope that we have been given now then causes us to live in the light of the new creation. New creation has begun birth in us. I don't have time to look at it, but in Ephesians, just a few verses before that, we said the Holy Spirit has been, Ephesians 1, uh, Holy Spirit has been given to us as the down payment, the deposit, the first fruits, that the Holy Spirit has been planted in your hearts, and so you have that new life within you. That's why we're called to live like new creation. In light of the future, it affects our present. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when I decided that it was time for me to, that I, that I would be a, uh, uh, I, would, I would go on this long 207-mile bike ride, bicycle ride down to Mexico. Some of you remember me talking about it a long time ago. And I remember this time of the year, more or less a little bit later than this, I found out about that ride for a ride that was going to be coming in, in, uh, in February. And prior to that, I'd always already been working out and was becoming somewhat fit. But the idea of riding 200 miles, 100 miles each day was over, it was as overwhelming to me as it is to some of you who hear me talk about it today, you know. Um, and, uh, and so, but then I signed on the dotted line and I had that goal ahead of me. And guess what? Everything about my life relative to exercise began to change. When you have that kind of hope, it changes the way you approach exercise. Right, Heather? She's done some massive runs, and uh, it, it, affects, it affects what you do. That goal, that thing that's going to happen in the future affects how you live in the present. See, the Christian hope is not just something you say, oh, goody, goody, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen someday. No, it begins to change you from the inside out. You become a different kind of person. You live as people of hope. So let me ask you as we close our time together, have you responded in faith to this gospel of Jesus Christ? He says about them that at one point they were alienated, they were uh, without hope and without God in the world. They had to come to realize that God had come to rescue them in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, Christ was able to bring hope into a difficult situation. Every time I hear sirens like that, I think of the fact that somebody's probably suffering somewhere. Someone is probably suffering somewhere. You know, all of us go through suffering at one point or another. But in Christ, there is hope. If you've not responded in faith to Christ, today would be a great day to do that. Let's close our time together with prayer. Father, I first of all want to pray for whoever it is that's being reached out to by those sirens. It's a reminder to me that we still live in a broken world. 
a world where bad things can happen to people, where suffering happens. We're thankful for um, those who are going to serve them. We pray your protection as they do, whatever it might be that's going on. And it's a reminder to us that in this world we do have tribulation, but as Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And how did he overcome the world? Not with guns, not with military might. He overcame the world by giving his life for the world. Even as the men and women in that truck are going for the express purpose of sharing their lives with someone who's in suffering. Thank you that you have done that for us. We remember that today with the taking of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ through the cup and the bread. We pray that you would help us to be people of hope in a world looking for meaning in all of the wrong places. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.